on? Yes. Thank you. Okay, I just received the text some of you have been asking. As soon as I find it again. Well, glory. Bingo. Uh, the menu for kind of an echo, maybe. The menu for our um, upcoming sweetheart dinner, we're having carved beef, stuffed chicken, mashed potatoes, smothered green beans, salad, rolls, desserts by Beth and Phil. So there you go. Beth and Phil's desserts are worth the admission right there. So that's what's coming. All right. Going to open up with a scripture I didn't give you. Don't worry about it. Um, Going to make my opening just a little different. I want you to know that the, the Word of God, um, do you know that the Bible says that there's hidden manna? And if you know that, what does that mean to you? What's that do for you? You turn the lights on because I can see their faces when they make faces at me. Because I think you will today. Yeah, there we go. Hidden manna. I mean, if there's something hidden in your house that's valuable, I mean, I would imagine you really go for it, really, especially if you lose your car keys uh, or your wallet, something of great value. I mean, you rip apart everything to find it. But I wonder if we, does that carry over into the things of God? Hidden manna, hidden bread. God said it's there, but it's hidden because God wants you to have uh, the ability to go get it, dig for it, the effort in finding the various things of, of God. Do you understand we have the solution for our country? Do you ever sit there and watch Fox or whatever you turn on to and get so frustrated and say, Lord, what can I do? But you got the answer right here. You know, all it takes is a little pocket of people who believe the word of God and they can turn a nation around. They really can but we don't do it. I mean, we really can. You can turn a nation around. Man, every one of you that have young children, you ought to be pounding the doors of heaven for God to do something for this nation. It's hidden manna. It's there. You can go for it, but it might cost a pick and a shovel and a wheelbarrow, but it's there. And then God goes on and tells us he offers a better way than what we got going on. You know, the American church, I believe, is in a crisis. Our country is certainly in a crisis because those who framed our Constitution, those godly men that framed the Constitution from their thoughts out of the Word of God, they're kind of walking away from the Constitution, right? Doesn't seem to have any oomph anymore, so our nation's paying the price. It's obvious. Well, it's the same thing. Here's our Constitution. And as the church through the generations and years have changed it or shredded it or didn't like that, then the church pays the price. And we are not what we used to be or what we should be. And I titled this morning's message, which is frightening to me because I, I do feel it in my heart, that we're losing the glory. We might be technically right. We might sing on the right notes, play the right tune preach the right doctrine, but I think we're losing the glory of God, the majesty, the majestic of God, that God wants to just 
pour on us with his presence, the majesty of God. Mm. We might have a generation now that doesn't even have a clue or an idea. But thinking about it, I started out New Hope 32 years ago on this, what I'm presenting to you today. You know, but that, what do they say, generation is 30 years? That's a long time ago. And I believe the Lord is telling me, I've got to do it all over again. I just have to. So that's what we're going to do. Now, I'm opening up differently, like I told our people in the back. I'm just simply going to open up a Jeremiah 6.16. 6.16. Now, if you have it on your iPhone, cool. But it would be better in the Bible. I'm not saying the iPhone's not the Bible. I understand you pull up the app, you got the Bible. I understand all that stuff. But there's something about the Bible in your hand. There's something about underlining. And remember that you underlined or you jot a little note or a little date or something God has given you. Okay, so here it is. God offers a better way for us here at New Hope. He says this, Thus saith the Lord, Stand you in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk in it. And God says, if you walk in it, you'll find rest for your souls. But the majority of people that hear this, they say, no, we don't want it. That's what we say. Now, the heathen's not going to read the Bible. He's not going to look at this and try to wander out. This is the people of God. God is saying, I'm offering you a better way this morning. He says, seek out the old paths wherein, I'm telling you, is the good way, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, nah, we don't want to walk in it. In 17, God said, also, I set watchmen over you, saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, I don't want to. Isn't that crazy? So here's what God says in verse 18. Therefore hear, you nations, and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, behold, I will certainly bring calamity on this people, the fruits of their thoughts, because they have not heeded my word, nor my law, but rejected it. <clears throat> God is offering us a better way. And he tells us that in the Word so that we can see that and go after it. Just like they did back then, you have to now. You have to say, okay, God, I'm going to go after it. Or I have to just simply say, uh-uh, I don't want it. But I believe that we are losing the glory of God, <clears throat> the majesty of God. Where you sit in a service like this and you just think, oh my gosh, God's here. I know that the Bible says where two or three are gathered, there am I in the midst. We know that. That's true. But I also believe that there's a time that God comes and he turns up the thermostat of his presence and you feel it. You start to say, oh my goodness, this is a place I can't. What's going on? The majesty, the glory of God. <clears throat> so Ezekiel tells us in 1.1, he says, now it came to pass in the 13th year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river of Chabar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. 
And he writes them down for us, for examples for us, for us to learn by them. So in my heart and in my spirit, I truly be, believe and feel we're losing our grip on the glory of God. The church is probably more fine-tuned than it's ever been, prettier than it's ever been, sounds better than it's ever been. Hmm. But if we lose the anointing and the glory of God, we have nothing, absolutely nothing. Yeah. And we're heading that way in our country. We are. <clears throat> so Ezekiel 10.4 reminds us and says this, The glory of the Lord went up from the cherubim and stood over the threshold of the house. Now you picture, remember the tabernacle, the tent in the wilderness? Now maybe you don't even know that. Maybe we should even... Learn that all over again. But the church that God built was a temp tent because they were always on the move. The most holy place, the holy place, the outer court, and then it had big curtains going around it and around it, <clears throat> different courts. <clears throat> so that's what the picture of this is, and they're talking about the glory of God just hovering. Now, it's a weird vision, but it's the glory of God, eyes all over, wheels turning with inside of wheels, cherubims and going up and hovering sound of their wings is like the voice of God <clears throat> so that's the picture best as I can tell you real quick limited by time and so the glory of the Lord went up from the cherubim and it stood over the threshold of the house so the glory of God is starting to move and now it's at the threshold where you walk in <clears throat> and it says in verse 19, And the cherubims lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth in my sight when they went out. The wheels also were beside them, and everyone stood at the door of the east gate of the Lord's house, and the glory of God of Israel was over them. So the glory of God moves from the center of the church to the threshold. Then it moves from the threshold maybe to the right where you come off 40, to the, the gate starting to leave the house of God, the glory, the presence, the majesty, the explosion of God, the atmosphere of holiness, righteousness, starting to move, starting to depart. You think somebody would start to say, hey, wait a minute. Ezekiel eleven twenty two then says this, then did the cherubims lift up their wings and wheels beside them, and the glory of God of Israel was over them above. Here it is, it's moving again. The presence of God, the glory of God. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood upon the mountain, which is on the east side of the city. Now it's way on the mountain now. Here it was in the tabernacle where the glory of God, where you would shake under the presence of God, feeling the convicted finger of God, realizing he's alive and well and real. So it goes to the threshold of the door, goes to the east gate of the parking lot, and now it's over on the mountain, leaving. Periodically, I'm going to have to have drinks so I can keep my voice, please. Hang in there. Lord. Okay. <clears throat> so here we are, you and I now. 2022, which even sounds weird saying that. 
losing the weighty presence of God, losing the glory of God, and trying to have church. How do you do that? How do you do that? It's like trying to drive to California with no gas in your car. I mean, how, how do you do that? We, the car is able. The car is built for it. The motor is powerful. It needs the fuel. The church is built for it. The church is built to contain the power and the glory of God. I think sometimes we have empty tabernacles, empty buildings, without the presence and the glory, and it's leaving and moving, and some of you know what I'm talking about, and others have been born and with this presence already on the east gate and have no clue what I'm talking about. Because you think, well, isn't this just church? Isn't this what happens? Hallelujah, rise again, and out the door you go again? No, 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 no. We have the ability to change this country right here. If no other church believes, if 90% of you say, ah, I'm out, and only 10% left, you still have that ability. So here we are, losing the weighty presence, trying to have church. Now here we go. If you get nothing, get this part. Because at the altar call, if you don't have any movement or any understanding, then you ask God for a hunger. Ask God, God, I need a hunger. Give me an appetite. I don't even have an appetite for this. Because it says this, Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. They shall get it. That's what it says. Blessed are they. And if you don't hunger, just be honest with God. Don't pretend to play church. Say, God, you've got to change my appetite. You have to truly change my appetite. Now listen, if God's uh, great marriage supper of the lamb is a big bowl of baked beans, <laughs> when I'm changed from glory to glory, he's going to have to change. I'm going to be like, oh, <laughs> this is unbelievably awesome. Right? Absolutely. That word hunger means to suffer want. Man, there's, there's got to be more than what I have. There has to be more than just this. That's the building and some music being played properly, hitting the right chords and saying amen and going out. There has to be more, Lord. There has to be more. A craving for more of the presence of God, a longing, an ache, a hurt inside for more of the presence where the Spirit of God just takes over a service. Oh, we are hungry. Christians are hungry for many things. Power, authority, success. We are hungry for stuff. Comfort, happiness. But how many of us are truly hungry for, for the righteousness and the presence of God and the glory of God? How many of us even believe that? anymore see we're old enough as a church to have a number of people have gone on to glory that believe this we are i mean i was what 41 when i started this i'll be 73 this year that's a lot of water over the bridge 
I've always heard it said, and I believe it certainly in my life, we have as much of God as we... Look, don't, don't tell me anything other than just guilty. I'm guilty, God. As much as you as I want. I admit that to you today, God, but Lord, I'm looking for a change. I'm looking for a change that only you can do, God. Take this guilty heart out of me and give me another one. Expand the borders of my heart, stretch the cords of the tent, Lord, and make it bigger and fill it just with you. Why not? So, we need to pray for more of an appetite. Appetite moves you. It does. I mean, sometimes you think of those old Amish meals and you'll take an hour drive to go have lunch and come back. Or somewhere over the mountain and through the woods has the best ice cream. You go. Appetite moves us. It does. It moves us. Remember one time I preached a long time ago and I mentioned Sunday chicken? At Cracker Barrel, we end up going there and there's about eight families there from the church because it all went, oh yeah, Sunday, and it moves you. So when you come to this altar, say, God, I've got to have that appetite. Put it in me. I'm not telling you to just suck it up and muster it up. It's not in you. You've got to have God put it in you. Lord, put this in us. An appetite for what I'm saying. An appetite for the old paths. It says this in Leviticus, which is the Old Testament law. Right? Leviticus. I'm going to read it in New Living Translation. Now listen very carefully. Meanwhile, the fire on the altar must be kept burning. Kept burning. It must never go out. Each morning, the priest will add fresh wood. That's what they did every morning. The Old Testament law to the fire and arrange the burnt offering on it, and he will then burn the fat of the peace offering. Every morning, fresh wood on the fire. Verse 13 simply says, Remember, the fire must be kept burning on the altar all times. It must never go out. Uh, probably a number of you have wood burners, right? Man, it was cold again last night. What if that fire went out in your house? Somewhere sooner or later, you'd catch it and be going, what on earth's going on? Then you've got to worry about your water like we heard and your pipes and all that kind of stuff, and you're going to just sit there, meh. That's what happens to us spiritually. It does. One reason this ongoing fire was so important was because it was started directly by God. They set up the sacrifices, they put up the altar, and all of a sudden God says, step back, boom! He hit it with his fire, and it was lit, and God said, now keep it burning. He started it, and he tells you to keep it. That's exactly what happens to us when we become born again. Leviticus 9.24 says, fire came out from the presence of the Lord. And boom, hit that offering, fire started. And God says, okay, now you keep it. You keep that fire raging and burning. 
And if you've been saved any amount of time, some of you can go back and say, oh, man, I remember when I was cooking for God. I remember when I was burning for God. Sadly, I can say that by myself. So God started this fire in you, in you. Luke 24, 32 says this, And they said one to another, Did not our hearts burn? Is your heart burning at all? Is any of this going like, Man, I remember. Oh, you remember when we used to gather? You remember when we'd worship and just explode in God? Some think it was better because it was in a smaller building. It's not that, it's with smaller hearts is the problem. You remember when you watch the old um, cowboy movie, mentioned it to some of you today, and the posse goes out after the bad guy, and they come across a campfire, and they can't tell if they just left or if they were going. They go to the fire, and sometimes they'll go cold. Or sometimes they'll go, mm, they must have been here not too long ago. That's what the Lord's doing today in your campfire. Trying to feel where you're at. Hot, cold. And if some of you, if, if, if you don't even cry grasping this and saying, I don't know what you, then just put a campfire at the altar and say, God, strike it with your fire. I wish someone would. So he says, did not our heart burn within us while we talked by the way, while we opened the scriptures to us? Did it not? Man, I come across some old stuff this week. Um, I used to do nothing but listen to old stuff. It's one thing great about the computer. It, it uncovered a lot of old stuff that modern-day Christian bookstores don't carry, don't have, actually don't even know it exists. And I would just listen to that over and over and over and over, aching inside. I could feel my heart burning just like that scripture says. That word fire simply means burning, consumed with fire. That's what you and I should be. We should be consumed with it, not trying to get there. I'll try to come to church when I can. No, you're supposed to be consumed with this. My wife was telling me she heard, I don't know, it was on the news or what, you know, the, the Bengals haven't sniffed the Super Bowl for 30-some years or whatever, and now they're there and there's people willing to pay $20,000 for a ticket. There's also people going to go all the way to California without a ticket just to be kind of around it. It's consumed. consumed with a group of, I don't know, 50-some men that could care less whether you're there or not. I, I understand. I, I understand that stuff. I'm not saying you should. I'm just trying to compare what consumed is, being consumed. $20,000 for a ticket. We cannot let coldness creep in. We can't. Listen, I'll tell you what, if you are not consumed, then you're losing the desire. We've got to desire to be consumed with the fire of God. If the heart, if the heart grows cold, everything will be done coldly. Everything we do will be done coldly. 
or music or worship or preaching or praying. It'll be just done coldly. Yeah, Lord, and take care of them and this one. And now I lay me down and our Father who art and be done coldly. All right, Jeremiah says this, Jeremiah 2, 1 and 2, in New Living. And this is what I believe the Lord is telling me today to do. Jeremiah says, the Lord gave me another message. He said, verse 2, go and shout this message to Jerusalem. Now listen to it. This is what the Lord says. I remember how eager you were to please me as a young bride long ago. How you loved me and followed me, even through the barren wilderness. God so I remember when only your thoughts were about me. When I was dating Ruth, Ruth got really sick. I think it was rheumatic fever and wasn't allowed out of the house, I don't know, for how long time. And I would call her and tell her I'm going to drive by. Just drive by and maybe you can look out the window and just wait, just to drive by and wave at who I loved. God says, I remember when you were like that. Through Jeremiah, can you feel his heartfelt appeal? God's heartfelt appeal to his people. Oh, that you would care about me again. Oh, that you would long for me. Oh, that you would drive by just to wave. Lord, hello. God says, oh, man, I remember how wonderful our relationship was. Man, what a powerful appeal. Do you understand that's almighty God saying that again to you? My love, my beloved, remember? Remember when I was on your heart all the time? Remember our first date? James 5.16 says this, The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We could turn a country around. Oh, yeah. You might have to find your pick and your shovel. You might have to find your schedule, start erasing some things, and say, you know what? I can make it. I can, I'll meet you there at 7 o'clock Wednesday. I put a peel out last Wednesday. Uh, I don't know if you think it's just trying to be cute or a pastor's thing, but I said, come Wednesday and help me strike a match. I'm meaning that. You understand? Fire begets fire. Les Walters comes and strikes a match through praying, and I'm by him, and I'm like, oh, Lord, yes. And I start going, it strikes a match, and then the next person, and then the next person. You always hear of these tremendous devastations in California with a spark from a generator or a a match and next thing you know there's 200,000 acres and 30 homes destroyed by one that's all it takes from us strike a match and then start adding the wood that's us most don't know this most don't get this most never go here this is part of the old past that most said, uh, no, thank you. You ever chop wood? This word fervent, 
uh, we were at Jason's last night. He has a wood burner. And it was going nice and toasty, and somewhere along the way, you know, it burns out. He looks at his son and says, Luke, help me go get some wood. That's what we need. Help me go get some wood. Help me strike a match. Let's do it together. So they go down in the cold, fire, whatever the temperature was, wood's frozen, probably snow all over it. But they come up with bundles of wood, and all of us receive the comfort as they pay the price to go get it. Much of our prayer is not effective simply because it's not fervent. I'm not telling you, I'm not giving you an example how to pray. I'm telling you the how here in the heart. Fervent. It is. Most of our prayers offered with lukewarm attitude, one, because we probably don't believe that prayer works most of the time. We just, we, it's the way we already got this horrible flesh and Satan that just constantly throws water on our attempts. And so we kind of sometimes just give up. A lot of times we're asking God to care about something that we don't care about. Because you can tell by your prayer. A lot of times we go and we watch Addison and we know she's coming over. All right, not, not doing this. We're not getting this, not getting this. And she comes over and she goes, Peppy, 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 please, Peppy, 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 please, Peppy, 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 all right. Change scenes, Elisha, the man of God, here now, we're going to come across the part where he's sick. Actually, he dies from this sickness. And someone's in trouble, really in trouble. You know, I've experienced, I'm nowhere near Elisha, and I'm even pretending to be Elisha, but lots of times people will come to me and have these horrendous problems. And you just go to the Word of God and say, okay, this, this, and this, and then they don't do it. I'll bet you 10% have done what the Word of God counsels. And then other 90%, that's just, I don't know. I don't know what it is. They just want to be heard. I mean, I was just on the phone with someone yesterday. I'm so alone. I'm so alone. I'm so alone. I'm so alone. alone. Please help me. Please help me. Please help me. I said, you belong to a church? No. You go to church? No. I said, do you know God says he puts the lonely in church, in the family of God? Well, all right, so here's Elisha. 2 Kings 13, 14 says, now Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness, whereof he died. So he ended up dying of this sickness, but before that happens, Joash, the king, the king of Israel came down unto him, wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots Israel and the horsemen thereof. I'm in so much trouble. I don't have a clue what to do. Help me. That's what he does. Now, when you think of it, he's the king of a country that's going to be annihilated. I'm sure he was just gushing with tears and grief and overwhelmed fear anxiety, goes to the man of God. That's where people are going to go. They're going to go to the house of God. It's all they're going to know. 
Now, the church might not be on their mind at all, but something horrible, terrible comes to this nation and happens nationwide, they're going to turn to the church. That's you. It's not this building. You're the church. You're sprinkled all out, ready for that time in this community. So Elisha says unto him, take your bow and your arrow. Now, Elisha's going to give him an actual example of prayer through this. But he tells him, take your bow and your arrow. And he took unto him bow and arrow. And he said to the king of Israel, put thy hand upon the bow. And, put, and he put his hand upon it, which is a type of the presence of God on the bow, on his weapon. <clears throat> and Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. And he said, open the window eastward. So they opened this window, and he opened it. And Elisha said, shoot! And he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance in the arrow of deliverance from Syria. Listen, his deliverance is coming by what God told him to do through the man of God, the prophet Elisha. And he said, that arrow is shooting through the sky. It's your arrow of deliverance. And it's going to deliver you from all those that are camped against you and around you, all over Syria. He says, shoot! And he shot. The arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek till you have consumed them. Man, what an answer. That's the answer. God says, I've given you an answer. I've given you a better way. Seek the old paths. Shoot that arrow. Now look what happens. And he said, now take the arrow. Take the arrows, and he took them, and he said unto the king of Israel, smite the ground. Now, at first you might think he's just going like this, but the idea was to smite the ground with those arrows. Shoot! Type of prayer. Going after it. Defeating the enemy. Joash, typical American Christian. I don't believe Joash did that. And he said, take the arrows, and he took them. And he said unto the king of Israel, smite upon the ground. And he smote thrice and stayed. There was consuming people around him, ready to destroy him, ready to kill your family and chew your kids up like nothing. And God is saying, shoot! And I can just see Joash going, out the window, shoot? Oh, okay, hmm? All right. Bing. And he, and he probably timidly, I, I, you can just see because we'll get, and he just goes, hum, ping, and quits. Remember, he come in wailing. I'm sorry, I have no idea what to do. Do this. Take the arrows. He took them. He said unto the king of Israel, smite the ground. He smote it thrice and stayed. And the man of God hit the roof. Well, well, you said shoot the arrows, I shot the arrows. Why, what are you getting so ticked off at? What's, what's the matter with you? He said, thou should have smitten five or six times. 
Then hast thou smitten Syria till thou hast consumed it, whereas now you shall smite them but three times. Because if you're haphazardness, you're just, well, okay, I guess. Uh, I don't know. Okay, Lord, can you possibly do this for me or something? God could see, man of God could see there was no urgency, no, no compassion, no desire, no drive, no nothing. He said, man, if you would have been into it, if you had had some fervency and you grabbed them, fume, 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 and keep just shooting those arrows of deliverance, God said you would have never had a problem with them. Because you didn't give much, you're going to get little. That's where we are. We are. Because I'm telling you now, all of you have quivers of arrows. You do. And what I'm trying to do is stir you to shoot. And a lot of you just probably go, "Mm, okay. Bing. That's the way we are. By taking the arrows, Joash just heard Elisha make the connection between the arrows shot through the window and the coming victory of the Syrian army. And he didn't have a heart to do it. He just kind of shot a few and quit. You'd think he'd have been shooting like crazy with a man of God saying, okay, Joash, okay, that's all. You're out of arrows. But that, that didn't happen. He just haphazardly went after it, like we do. So Joash, who needed help, was shown what to do and then hardly did it, like us, maybe today. When Jesus' back was up against the wall, the Son of God, fully man, fully God, perfect example for us, you and I, when his back was up against the wall and he's in the garden, He's like, that cup, that cup, Lord, that cup. He knew what was going to happen. He knew the kicks and the beatings and the nails and the stripping. He knew what was coming. You think he went, ping, ping, son of God. Luke twenty-two forty-two says, saying, Father, if thou willing, Remove this cup from me, nevertheless not my will, but thine be done. In being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, more intently, more. I can see the fire coming. Father, help me. Your Lord did that. He didn't have to. He could have went beyond. He was an example. He was telling him, you need to do that because you can't go poof. You need to let him fly. (laughs) They should constantly be coming in on the enemy. The enemy should be going, in other words, more. Earnestly means more intently. Your Lord, your God did that. Jesus. Speak the word, and it could have been done. Star-breathing God, it says in Psalms. Stars. 
walks on water, backed up against the wall. He says, okay, guys, here's what you do. We're going, what are you going to do now? Go pray like crazy. That's what God says to do. And it's a fight to get back to that. Or it's a fight to start it. That's why I'm saying, please, please, bring some matches Wednesday. Someone, please. When we lose the fire, coldness creeps in. We can still have church. We can have a choir. We can sing. We can do special songs. We can have a sweetheart banquet, roller skate, PBS, whatever, special little programs. But when coldness creeps in, we get lethargic and selfish. Your God becomes me, myself, and I. It just does. It's in all of us. It's in you. You were just born that way. You can't help it. We can't. Hosea 10, 1 and 2, New King James says this. Israel empties his vine, his harvest. He brings forth fruit for himself. According to the multitude of his fruit, he has increased the altars. According to the bounty of his land, they have embellished his sacred pillars. We use our giftings, our talents, time, money for ourselves. We do. No time to come to the house of God. No time to help out. No time to pray. I mean, you try to. You want to. You kind of. You know, you try to remember. I understand. I drive to Columbus. That's when I pray. It's okay to talk to God, but that's not, that's not this. <coughs> Where all your nerve endings, all your thoughts and minds are on God. Nah, you can't do that going 70. Listen to me. We need this fire to want to pray. We need this fire to want to pray. You need this fire to want to worship. To forget about everything else, especially yourself, and just worship. Without the fire, we're going through emotions. We, we are. We're going through scary emotions. You need the fire to make you read, to make you want to read. It's, you can't do this naturally. Oh, my gosh, your natural self loathes this. It's supernatural what we're talking about. We cannot lose that. Moses begged for it. Remember? Show us your glory. We're not moving until you do. I beseech thee. Look that way. I beg you. Show us your glory, God. Show us that hidden man. Where, where should I dig, Lord? guess what? Everybody knew it when Moses came off the mountain, didn't they? His face shone with the glory of God. People knew it. People were backing up for Moses. What's up with you? Because he was a different kind of Christian they had never seen before or heard before. Ablazed. 
so much that Moses says, all right, I'll try to explain to you what happened. Covered his face. You see, I was on the mountain alone with God. God called me to that mountain. And about the 40th day, God spoke to me. That's why I tried to just make the little connection with put your boots on. We're climbing. Our, a lot of our children love to go places and hike. Well, they don't ask mom and dad. Those hiking days are over. Can't do it. You know, if you want me to hike, I go to the mailbox every morning. <laughs> Flat. That, that's not hiking, is it? That's not mountain climbing. Some of you have sticks and you've got special shoes and it's hard work. You know, they say up there about 6,000 feet is this most unbelievable, beautiful scenery that you will tell me when you get up there. <laughs> Take some pictures and send it to me. You don't see hundreds climbing, do you? You don't. You don't see hundreds doing what I'm talking to you about either. Let me tell you something. All years ago, we preached on eagles, right? Eagles do what? They fly alone. Alone, Carol. What? What do crows do? Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. What's Carol doing? All the time she's what? She's better than all of us? Go, go. And the eagle's up there just soaring. Can you imagine what they see? Majestic sights that we can't see. The voice of God. The hush of holiness. It's for you. When you get up here, you ought to do this. God, you, you, you have given me eagle wings. They're here, Lord. I've never... I didn't know that. Every one of you, every one of you here that I'm looking at, you have them. You have eagle wings, whether you want them or not. Whether you ever use them or not, I don't know. You'll stand before Almighty and your wings starch and stiff. And God's going to say, you, you never knew that. You didn't walk. You didn't soar. You didn't go for the gold. In me. And God, that's what God tells his people. Come up. Come up here. John the Revelator, what did he do? Come up here. Ezekiel, by the river, collapsed. God says, look up. And he saw that weird thing that we talked about, the wheels and the presence of God. Come up. It's for all of you. Every one of you. Isaiah, you can hear in Isaiah's voice in this portion of Scripture that his, his heart was renting. He wanted God so bad. You put your hands in his campfire, probably couldn't stay long, be hot. He said, oh, that thou wouldst rend the heavens, that thou wouldst come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence as when the melting fire burneth and the fire caused the water to boil.
that's for you. Look, there are 1,900 billion second giants trying to take your attention away with what I'm trying to tell you. And probably they're going to succeed. I don't say that to be mean. I just know us American Christians. How about Acts 2? When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Man, could we be in one accord on a Wednesday? In one place? We can. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting. We need another sound from heaven. Have you ever, sure you have, you lived in Ohio, you have some of them summer thunderstorms? I mean, some of them, not just those little rumble, some of those are and your house goes, I mean, sometimes they just bring you up out of here, oh my goodness, that had to be closed, where's that? That's what I'm talking about. God, do that to us. Strike us with that, Lord. We need that sound from heaven that rattles our windows, God. Because when those special cracks come, you never just continue what you're doing. If it's the dad, he's usually, whoa. You kind of go out and you check the house or the mother. What was that? Get your attention. We need that, God. Our young people need that. Remedy needs that. Actually, Remedy might get it before us. Rattle our windows, Lord. Matthew 3.11 says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with Holy Ghost and with fire. Look it up yourself. What's that word fire mean? Do you remember? Anybody? Means to strike with lightning. Boom! Boom! Put those antennas up, Lord. Strike me with your fire. Lord, hear, hear, Lord. Strike me with your fire, God. That's what it says. Fire means lightning. Maybe you can come to this altar if you have enough courage and say, God, hit me with your almighty God's lightning. Hit me with it, Lord. You know what I mean? It's just one strike. Out goes the bad, in comes the power of God. Boom! God starts his work in you. Man, on the mountain, God, on the mountain, Moses was hit with that lightning. And the people knew it when he came down off that mountain. They'll know it. Our country will know it. All over the corners of this country, as far as you can get and still stay in the borders, they'll know it. Something's going on in that church in Zanesville. Something. Zanes, where's Zanesville? Look it up. Where's that at? Is it real? Do you think God, is God, does God really, is it happening there for real? Our country will know it.
Romans simply says, Our night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the work of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Light. You know, I know we're busy. I know it. It's part of our problem. We are. But if you get this, and you have to rearrange your schedule, rearrange it. Come Wednesday, 7. I don't know, maybe we last 45 minutes, sometimes 50, and close. Rearrange. Say, God, I've got to be there. God, I've got to be there. Bring your matches. Go find your matches. Maybe they're all wet. But put them on the altar of God. What I have, God, I offer to you. Mount Sinai was altogether on smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. Oh, my goodness. By a voice. Earning. Yes, Lord. Fairy tale. That's what we should be holding out for. That's what we should be holding out for, for the glory of God to show up. Let's stand, please. Rodney, you guys can come. Again, just to remind you, the sad truth in Jeremiah 6.16 the Lord saying, New Hope, I am offering you a different way this morning. I'm offering you a way where the majority does not want to go. I'm offering you a way where the path is narrow. Very few find it and even fewer walk it. Stand in the ways and see and ask for those old paths. God's not asking us to go back to horse and buggy. He's not talking about that stuff at all. Go back to the Bible back to the Word of God. Devour it. Eat it. Find the hidden manna. Dig for it. Wherein is the good way. And then when you find it, it says, walk in it. Walk therein, and you shall find rest for your souls. But the majority said, no, no thank you. We're not going to. Too hard to climb. You know, it's awesome now as I can't. There's a lot of things I can't do. It'd be cool to go to the family and climb and see various things. And I just can't. We just can't. But anything God asks me to do, I can. I can climb a mountain in God. Every time I put my hands together, Lord, Sierra needs you, God. We don't know what happened to her, but Lord, you speak life to her body again. We take Sierra to the throne of God. 
And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up. Come up to the mountain and be there. Are you willing to climb this morning and take your first step towards this mountain? We're going to open the altar now. So who will come to this altar and you'll put your boots on? Say, Lord, I don't even own a pair. I, what? What's he say? Please teach. He will. After that, God is going to have a pair of boots for you. And he's going to have a box of matches for you. And he's going to say, come up. Remember, Moses begged God for his glory. If the church gets God, America will know it. If we put God back on the throne, America will know it. He will. David cried to God, don't take your spirit from me. God said, okay, I won't. God, I beseech thee, show me your glory. Okay, I will. I will show you my glory. That's for you. Your boots and your matches, they're up here. There's no place I would rather be.